It's Randalicious. Welcome to the SEO Rant. My name is Morty Oberson. You might know me as SEMrush's head of communications, but this is not an official SEMrush publication. This is unofficial Morty Magic, Morty Mania, however you want to think about this. Where can you find the SEO Rant? You can find it at theseorant.com. That was magical. You can also find it at Stitcher, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever great, mediocre, and terrible podcasts are found, we are there. When does the SEO rant come out? I don't know. Uh, there's no set schedule. I try to put it out weekly on Thursdays, but I kind of just do this on the side. So if I don't have any time, I don't do a podcast episode. So there's no official set schedule. So it does make sense to subscribe wherever you consume your podcast. Enough about that. Today, we have an industry speaker, an industry author, the former VP of growth over at investing.com, an overall good guy and a highly respected SEO consultant. He is Egal Stoltner. What's up, man? Hey, Morty. How are you, man? Good. How's it going? Everything is fine. Everything is fine. <laughs> tell, Thanks tell for having me, Tell me why man. everything is fine. Tell me why yeah. everything is fine. I'll tell you why everything is fine. Yeah. Because after those crazy two weeks we had here with the rockets and all, now the kids are back to school. Yep. And we can get back to work, which is, which is amazing, man. Yeah, and think, and we had the whole world under lockdown with Corona, so the kids were home for that too. I was just referring for those two weeks as um, lockdown four. That's how it <laughs> felt. It's by the way, I, I, we both have kids. We both talk about this all the time. We both love our children. That's not about not loving our children. I just need my space. Yes, yes. We love our kids. Love our and kids. at the same time, having small kids is very difficult, especially uh, during such period. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So today, for your listening pleasure, we're talking about doing SEO for big sites versus doing SEO for small sites. Gal, the mic is yours. Where do you want to take this? So I think that the first thing that we need to differentiate you and I is when we say large sites or big sites, are we speaking about sites that are big in traffic or sites that are big in number of pages and sections? Ooh. Yeah, I would say that these two are correlated, but at the same time, not always. Mm -hmm. So usually when we refer to small sites or large sites, large sites would be sites with tons of pages, sites that usually have more technical difficulties, sites that are simply more complex from a technical point of view. And small sites would be, you know, all those sort of like simple blogs, WordPress sites. Uh, I'm saying WordPress, but it doesn't have to be WordPress. It could, uh, be, it could be Wix. It could be Wix. It, it could, could be, be Shopify. It could be Shopify. It could be Squarespace. Exactly. It could, could really on. be... You, you, you don't have to. It could really be anything that is relatively easy to begin from a technical point of view. Because essentially, when you're building a small site, whether it's a B2B business, whether it's just a brand site, whether it's you or me, we open our own individual blogs. It's all about the content. It's all about the content. In large sites, content is obviously massive, but the technical point of view is extremely, extremely uh, important. So that's like the background of the story. And when you're approaching sites, when you're approaching new clients, and I know that I told you that I've been working with clients pretty much for the first time in the past few months since I left my role as uh, VP Growth at Investing approximately six, seven months ago, I've seen both. So larger, let's say e-commerce site or marketplace sites, 
sites that really have a big issue usually with coverage and fixing that is first priority. Smaller sites, I had one client with a completely new site, which is essentially uh, a one pager, a blog. And I was like at first, okay, I'm not gonna be able to do it because what am I even gonna be able to bring to the table? So the whole work was around mapping content and thinking of content that will make sense. And then, you know what? It's content marketing at its best and content pro producing content at its best. But essentially, it's very different from what I used to do for the past 13 years at Investing, which is a site that has at least 500 million pages, maybe That's more. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I'll tell you what. I think that let's start with the first question that we ask ourselves. First of all, can I recommend a question? It's your, it's your mic, dude. Okay, it's my mic. So I'll say the first question is, should you even consider working with small or big sites? And when you have such an option, like how do you even approach that? And I think that because of that process that I personally went through from in-house, running a, a 20 plus people department and a very large site with a lot of in-house complexities and buy-ins and all those you know, internal politics. And then you work with clients and you have small sites as well, you basically pretty much begin from scratch. You start doing the keyword yourself, keyword research yourself. You start thinking of content. You start reading, looking at SERPs, looking at your competitors in a very different way. And I think that for SEOs, it's actually, I mean, I knew that for, for the past 13 years, but I never tried and played with it. Having that experience is actually really, really cool and yep. makes you feel how little we know <laughs> when you were woke, focusing on one thing for so, for so long. I have a very similar experience, by the way. So when I was at Rank Rangers, that was a much larger site, a lot of traffic, blah, blah, blah. And now, uh, you know, doing work at Wix, seeing a lot of the smaller sites, getting questions from them, fielding questions from them, seeing their issues, blah, blah, blah. It's a totally different ballgame. I was just having a conversation about um, this with somebody else, with um, Jim Medje, actually. And it's about, you know, when you talk about keyword research or, or competitor analysis or gap analysis, blah, 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 you don't really hear much nuance about doing that for a big site versus doing that for a smaller site. And it's a completely different, I'll say, no, forget bigger, smaller, established versus unestablished site. Because I think sure. they're two totally different things. One is very much, yeah, you can pull a list out of SEMrush, whatever it is, refine that list, see what works, take a different tactic, find an opportunity, blah, blah, blah versus creating an actual strategy, versus creating where am I going with this, trying to carve out a niche for yourself on the SERP are two completely different processes, in my opinion. So 100%, man, and it even starts with something as simple as, you know, your first very basic initial keyword research. As you said, most folks using tools such as SEMrush or Ahrefs, which essentially bring pretty much the same thing. And then every, everyone has their own uh, template or how they build it. Uh, it doesn't work always at all for larger sites. Uh, I'm not even speaking about languages yet. And maybe we'll get to languages and international SEO in a few minutes because uh, it's an interesting part of larger sites. But uh, it's two totally different uh, approaches. When you have a small site, five pages, 10 pages, 20 pages, even 200 pages, essentially you can map the whole thing. 
You can map the whole thing. You can look at the search volume. You can look at the clicks. You can look at the SERPs features. You can look at everything and pretty much understand like what is your potential. With larger sites, uh, e-commerce sites, marketplace sites, some people call it inventory-based sites. Uh, I think Kevin Indyk called it like that for the first time. And I really like it because it makes so much sense. It's basically anything that has an inventory. Uh, you know, if you're thinking of a site such as investing.com, the inventory there is basically all those stocks, pages, yeah. like hundreds of thousands of pages. And then they have similar pages and they have like uh, in, in additional pages which come, which simply help them. <laughs> uh, the users have more information about those topics. Um, so that's a totally, totally different ballgame for sure. Absolutely, totally different. And it's funny. Okay, so let me, let's jump. I have a question for you. I'm jumping back to the smaller site for a minute. Because I feel there's not enough nuance in how you treat a smaller site versus or an, an unestablished versus an established website. So we, you go to SendRush, pull out your keyword list, and you start from there. Or do you start from there? Right? I feel like if you have a site like investing.com, you can go and see like where am I, where is there a gap between, let's say, ourselves and like Seeking Alpha, which I'm assuming is maybe a competitor of yours or was a competitor. In a way. In right? a way. In a way. Yeah. Like, okay, so where is whatever competitor? Where is there a gap? What can we do to, to, to narrow that gap? Where is there opportunity versus finding where that opportunity exists for a brand new site? Totally different. So look, first of all, a brand new site has tons of additional challenges. You're starting something new. Google doesn't know who you are. Nobody knows who you are. That's users the, are the point, right? The users are not, know who you are. Exactly. Users are not voting for this site by searching for it with branded searches or anything like that. And essentially what happens is that you begin from the very, very bottom. At this point, things like meta titles, which make such a big difference in large sites, they don't matter or they barely matter. I mean, think of any uh, competitive keyword and just put it on the homepage of a totally new site your chances of ranking for that is zero. Let's just say right. it out loud. Yep. Your chances of ranking for that is just non-existent. And what you begin to do is you start at, you start thinking of how you add some kind of value because you can't just jump in and just say, hey, I'm here. I'm the most valuable site in your industry. You begin from nothing. It's like your local neighborhood store. You begin from something relatively small and you grow from there and people get to know you. That's how it works. And then tools such as SEMrush and Ahrefs, which by the way, got so much better over the past five years. And now they're available for larger sites as well. Um, but it's, it's definitely uh, something else entirely. And the gap analysis for a small site would simply, first of all, you don't have a gap. You don't have, you don't have a gap. You don't have anything. You're still carving out. That's what I mean. You're still carving out that niche. Exactly. But you can easily spot the next, the first four to five sites that are relatively similar to you. Obviously, it depends on so many things. It depends on the niche and industry. But you can map the sites that are the closest and start from there. You can have a gap analysis between them and then see how you can maybe, maybe, um, Bridge that gap, if I may call it that way. Right. Um, I want to I want to hard back to something you mentioned you brought up before, which is international SEO. Because once you get into a big site, let's say like investing.com, that's a totally different ball game. It's a totally different area of SEO. I'll tell you what, it's interesting that when it comes to languages, I mean you can go today to any site in Italian or German or Chinese, 
uh, and simply translate that with your browser easily. Google Translate does that pretty well. And at the same time, we don't see so often uh, results in other languages. I'm seeing this a lot in Hebrew. Very often, like, like in Hebrew specifically, we know that the web is limited. I'm not even speaking about local SEO in Hebrew, which is completely useless. Like try to see when's the store you're interested in is open. Let's think about how powerful it is in the US and how useless it is here in Israel. It's not gonna work. So you will have to call. We still call places. I went to a flower shop a few days ago. I was just trying to see if it's still open at 3 p.m. on a Friday. I had to call them. Google didn't tell me. So (laughs) long story short, when it comes to international, the web is still limited. And it's not just with Hebrew. When it comes to, let's say, YouTube or Google Play, you can search in Hebrew and find the result in English because Google Play and YouTube will make the connection. Yeah. yeah. On the web, you see no. that sometimes, but barely. And that means that if you simply translate, I'm saying that carefully because the word translate is not the right word to use. The right word to use is actually localized. But let's start with translation just to make it clear. When you translate a page that is relevant to a Hebrew um, result or Italian or Spanish or German or Korean, you obviously start beginning the rollout in a totally new area, totally new market, totally new people. You begin to become, you become uh, relevant. And that's why international SEO is so powerful. When you have a very small site translating or localizing 50 or 100 pages is not very easy from Google's point of view. It's not, it doesn't make a lot of sense to Google so quickly and it's very limited. But when your site has millions of visits and you have millions of pages or even hundreds of thousands of pages and then you translate them well to another language, I'm not going to say you're going to double your traffic or anything like that, but you begin rolling out towards that goal. I, I will say this as somebody from the U.S. originally and who um, barely speaks other languages as well. I don't think you realize how hard the translation is or how different it is. For, for example, I'll give you a great example. Okay, If you go to Google Translate and you type in search engine optimization and you translate it to Hebrew, it's the wrong term. It's not what you use in in, in it's not the vernacular people actually right. use. Yes. So if you have yes. a whole page about SEO and you translate it to another language, you're just totally off. It's not how and it I'll, works. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Google Translate is so much better today. It's great. I'm than, not complaining at you, all. The, no, I know. And yet it is still so far from being so local. Far. Like you can obviously see that the Hebrew version of Google Translate doesn't know so many of those little terms, and I'm not even speaking about little nuances that you have between countries, like the Spanish in Madrid and the Spanish in right. Buenos Re- Aires. Regional dialect. Yes, it uses so so often very different words. I'm not even speaking about that. Uh, as you said, your SEO example in Hebrew is, is a great one. What yeah, is it, by the way? How do they uh, call it? Optimatia limno i hipus. Which is optimization, not, which is yeah. optimization for search engines, and we use Kidumatarin, which is basically promoting sites. Of, right, webs- yeah, it's which so, is, by the way, a pretty bad translation. Now that you think yeah. of that, it, right? But it's a very literal translation. I know, okay. which is what it's, which makes sense. But oh, second point is I don't think people realize, it, and this I saw it brings to going back to your point about that local business, and I never realized this. 
when I search in Hebrew and seeing the, the available content and the depth of content and the quality of content available and comparing that to English, it's a completely different world. It's just not anywhere close. And you see, Google's talked about this a bunch of times, most recently on one of their podcast episodes. The amount of content available in other languages, I'm not, I, again, they're probably, it's, it's on a you know sliding scale, obviously, is not anywhere close to what's available in, in English. For sure. And I think that we see that everywhere. I've been seeing this with health. I've been seeing this with uh, fitness. I've been seeing this a lot with SEO. Not to even mention news. You know, when you're searching for news in Hebrew, we are only getting the local opinions, which right, is, right. you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not going there. Local news here sucks. We're, we're not going there. By the way, um, I just want to point out that you got me to speak Hebrew on a podcast. My Hebrew sucks and I'm completely embarrassed. So thanks for not calling me out. Oh, for sure, man. Don't worry. Appreciate, about it. appreciate that. <laughs> Big All care. right. So tell me, can we jump quickly to the maybe the most interesting part of large sites? Yes. Okay. I'll tell you what, because we cannot have a podcast about small versus large sites and not speak about the actual problem, the actual um, thing that make a lot of SEOs' lives miserable. And it's internal linking and architecture. Because yeah. you see, when you open a small site and you have five to 10 pages, you can simply link no to all of them from anywhere. Yeah, no it's problem. so easy. But when you have a hundred million items, or you know what, let's not go there. Let's say 250,000 items. That's what it becomes really, really problematic. And you know what? I can tell you this much. I've worked with a few clients in the past few months. Every single one of them has issues with URL structure. It's like if they never hired an SEO in the past, they never thought of that. And URL structure, so like the basic architecture that helps large sites in, in such a powerful way is just something that those large sites simply never think of. And, um, you know, when you start working with a new client, the first question that clients ask you, even if they are not using those specific terms, is like, what are the low-hanging fruits? And then what is the longer-term strategy? So yep. those are the two things it, we... Internal yeah, linking is low-hanging fruit. Internal it's linking in that fruit. Exactly. And at the same time, it's not like you change everything and tomorrow you begin seeing something totally different. No, but, but you have begin... a real impact. Exactly. And I would say that the way that I refer to URL structure or bad architecture for large sites as a very low uh, ceiling, okay, that basically limits you. So it doesn't matter how well your, how good your content is. It doesn't matter how awesome your link profile is. It doesn't even matter how amazing or awesome your product is. It's always there. And you know what happens then? Then clients, and I had that at the company I worked for 13 years as well, they would give you extreme examples. But it works for Amazon. But it works for Ynet. But it works for whatever, for Yahoo Finance. You know, it doesn't really matter who it is. Right. And in SEO, what we know is that there's so many different metrics, so many different metrics that we need to take into account. And we need to try and do our best in every single one of them. You know, slightly just like core web vitals. Now we know that we don't need all metrics to be perfect, but we still try because that's, <laughs> that's, that, that's where we're going with it, right? We're trying I love that to- that Google improve. backtracked on that. I just love yeah, that. yeah. Anyway. 
so Google-ish, if I may call it that way. So, uh, so the thing is that URL structure and architecture is such a big uh, How did pain. you manage that though? I, I, I've never done on a scale like investing.com. How do you manage that? So the first thing definitely is not trust sitemaps because sitemaps are pretty useless in that case. And I'm not even speaking about the 50K limit. I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about the fact that you cannot build a site based on that because just being able to, uh, to find those pages, to crawl those pages is not enough. We need to actually send PageRank from the most relevant yep. pages to the most important pages. And you know, when you start, when you speak, for example, with, uh, with a client of yours, uh, it doesn't matter if it's the CEO or the CEO or the CPO or whatever, and you explain in simple words, like to a five-year-old or maybe a, maybe not five, maybe a 10-year-old. Wait, so your, your advice is consider your C-level boss dumb. I think that in some cases it makes <laughs> a lot of sense because SEO in that regard, when we're speaking about the fundamentals of the why, true. I think it's pretty basic. We're speaking about like, don't think of Google as a, such a complicated machine. It is. But in that regard, don't think that way. Think about how do you actually push the most relevant pages? And then think of your URL structure as something that will help users find where they are. Then you take your client to this page and you ask them, so how would a user understand where is he or she located on the site? And the URL structure may help. And when you do that and you're linked from the menu to the most important sections and from every section to the most important pages and from those pages to the most important sub pages or whatever you want to call it, sub pages, sub categories, sub sub categories exist as well. Uh, it just makes so much sense. And then you start working on a diagram, you know, you just start visualizing this whole thing and slowly, slowly zooming out until you kind of like see the whole picture and then it makes sense. And then CTOs sort of like it. They never like those it things. But they, one of those like, you know, uh, like nose and spikes graphs. It looks good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should definitely have a whole podcast at some point, no matter with whom, about CTOs, like CTOs, how to handle them as- We can have one about CMOs. We can have one about CEOs. There's a lot. We can do like C-level, yes. a C-level series on C the uh, series. SEO RAM podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Nice. All right. Good recommendation. So, okay. okay. So with that, where can people find you? Me? Yeah, you. So, so I, I actually just started my first Wix site. <gasps> so thank you for like for your help with that. I had a WordPress site which I did not update for a long time. I am sorry for that, but that's just the case. And I recently wanted to play with Wix purely because of your new role. And I want to tell you a secret about Wix. <laughs> a few years ago. A few years ago, I've tried Wix. I wasn't able to find where do I change and update my meta title. And I decided that Wix is not for me anymore until recently. Yeah, they fixed that. They that fixed was, That was uh, a good they, move. That, that was, was a good was move a, to fix it. <laughs> that was, yes. <laughs> that, uh, there are lots of things that are now great. And I love the design. And I love how easy it is to drag and drop and play with it. It's cool. So I do have a site. It's called Egalisti or egalstolfner.com or the Rexter, that's one. I have Twitter. I am here in Israel if anyone wants to visit. And that's pretty much it. Cool. So I will link to all those places. By the way, since we're talking about hierarchy and site structure, 
custom URLs are currently, as of the date of this recording, are currently starting to be experimented with on Wix. So that's for subfolders, right? That means you do whatever you want with the URL. Okay, so that's great. And that's great. And I really think that, you know, there is this ad that I can't remember the specific details, but there's a Wix ad about having Wix for a large site. Do you know what I'm speaking about? Oh, is this the one in Hebrew? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really curious. I'm really curious about that because I feel like we all know so little about Wix and how, you know, tech and R&D even work with that. But that's for a totally different, different, different If you want to check something out on that, by the way, so check out um, Google Wix Velo, which is a dev tool. All it's right. a lot of cool stuff. Um, so definitely check that out if you're interested in seeing what you can do with Wix and a larger site. I don't use this podcast to plug Wix, so we're going to stop here. Okay. But thank you for, for thank you for the plug. Now, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at, I'm angry at myself. No, it was only uh, <laughs> only because you asked where to find it. So, yeah. I know. I asked for it. Okay. And I am going to upload a few new posts there soon. Ooh. Once, yeah. yeah should share be. on Twitter. Share, I will. Share, I, will. Okay. I will. All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. So where can you find the SEO rant? Again, you can find the SEO rant at the SEORant.com on Stitcher, on Spotify, and SoundCloud, wherever great, mediocre, and terrible podcasts are found. And... Check us out at theseorant.com. New episodes kind of whenever, weekly, Thursday. Again, subscribe. And again, weekly, Thursday, the general trend. golf. thank you for coming on and delighting us with your expertise. Thank and you, Morty. I hope to see you soon, man. Yeah. And until then. <laughs>